Broadcasting from the heartland of America in the Hoosier Media Network Studios. The next generation in conservative talk radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, it is. Hour number two. Here it is, my friends. You have made it to the second hour of Reason, Common Sense, and Rationale. Always wonderful to have you with us here on the weekend edition of the Voice of Reason, broadcasting out of the Hoosier Media Network in Wichita, Kansas. So wonderful to have you along for the ride with us today. Make sure to follow us all over our social media at Hoosier Reason. That's H-O-O-S-E-R Reason. No I in Hoosier. Also, our website at HoosierReason.com. You can sign up, become a Hoosier Holic by signing up for the newsletter, which we send out at the beginning of every single month. In uh, that way, you can be part of it. You can be part of the AA meeting, so to speak, here on the show where we break down the politics of the week and we tell you how to put it into context through reason, common sense, rationale, something that's a minority conversation in society today. Got a lot to get to. Patrick Simmons, a new guest on the program today. He's the vice president of the National Right to Work Foundation. We'll chat with him coming up at the bottom of the hour. We're going to talk about the latest Supreme Court hearings on Auto deductions for union dues. Can you have an electronic auto deduction for that? Is that constitutional? And should we allow individuals to be auto renewed into your union membership or do you have to auto, uh, do you have to manually renew yourself every single year? Which you would think would be the right ideal way because if you want to join the union cool, but also you should actively be partaking in that or else your dues just go out there and they spend them on frivolous things like, I don't know, getting Democrats elected or something. So we'll talk about that coming up in just a little bit. But there's a lot more to get to. to and there's, I don't really know how to present this one because there's a lot that happened this week. So we'll try to break it down the best we can in our latest and what's trending. It's your Week in Review. So as you know, the big conversation over the last week has been not only the budget extension of the current uh, continuing resolution that will be done at the end of January, beginning of February, and that two-tiered system from our Speaker Mike Johnson. But right now, we've talked about, at least in the House and the Senate, they've conversed on a few different issues, one of them being funding for Ukraine which there are a group of conservative Republicans in the House of Representatives that will not support it. And I understand why. There are other Republicans that say that we need to do it, but we need to focus on the home front as well, which is why the compromise that Mike Johnson, our Speaker of the House, came out with earlier this week was, all right, Democrats in the Senate, as he called up Chuck Schumer, he said, if we support funding for Ukraine, the only way you're going to get it is if you guys end up passing H.R. 2. Now, for those who don't know what H.R. 2 is, it's a immigration bill that Republicans passed back in the spring, thankfully under Kevin McCarthy, one of the few bills that he actually did get done that was semi-decent. And even before that, when the Trump administration was in power, trying to work on reforming immigration to make sure that, I don't know, we wouldn't see almost hundreds of thousands of illegal migrants flooding our border right now in the southern border that is an ongoing issue that even Democrats are now starting to get a little concerned about, which is why you see Eric Adams, the mayor for New York City, coming out and talking about it. And then coincidentally, they're like, oh, by the way, you're under investigation because we think you're colluding with the country of Turkey in your election, so we're going to confiscate your cell phones and laptops and everything else for the campaign. (laughs) Coincidentally, that you can collude unless you're actually against the Democrat policies. We see Chicago right now that is blaming right-wing extremism for dumping illegal migrants into the country or into the city of Chicago after them claiming to be open border policies and sanctuary cities and wanting to take care of these illegal migrants. So even Democrats are starting to waffle on this issue 
and wanting to do what they're calling, quote unquote, common sense immigration reform, which really means we're going to give amnesty to all the ones that are here, open the policies to where it's easier for them to come in. And that way, there's no such thing as illegal aliens because they can just walk in without any repercussions. That's their grand solution to where the issue just goes away. We don't talk about it. The people are still coming here, but we're not going to talk about it because they're not technically breaking the law. We'll just change the law to where it's no breaking any longer. And therefore we don't have to worry about this issue anymore. That's their solution to the problem. And Mike Johnson says, all right, if we're going to send funding to Ukraine, because we don't want an invasion of the Eastern border of Ukraine, and we're going to help out an ally here from a dictator that is Vladimir Putin that wants to reunite the Soviet Union. Totally get that conversation. Okay. But if we're going to help fight for defining the line of what Ukraine is and supporting them financially, maybe we should focus like on some things here on the home front. And apparently Democrats aren't okay with that. As Chuck Schumer came out on Thursday or Friday, I believe, at the end of this week, talking about the latest and where they're at and saying that that conversation of binding the two together was a non-starter. On Thursday, uh, Speaker Johnson called me up and said that he could only do Ukraine as long as H.R. 2 was attached to it. Immediately, I told him that's a non-starter. You know that we wouldn't even bring it to the floor of the Senate. You know that it has the Every Democrat voted against it, so bringing it to the floor of the Senate again makes no sense. When the debt ceiling occurred, we all voted no. And you know that you couldn't even pass it in the House, I said to him, because you need a bunch of Democrats, because there are a whole bunch of Republicans who won't vote for anything for Ukraine, no matter what is attached to it. And you won't get Democrats if you put H.R. 2 on the bill. You know what I like about this? And I know that it's going to be a hard-fought battle, but you know what I like about this conversation is the fact that finally, finally, and this did not happen under Kevin McCarthy, has not happened in a very long time. Finally, we have a Speaker of the House and we have a semi-unified Republican Party right now that is willing to actually stand their ground and actually push back against the Democrats. This has not happened in a long time. Andy, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is the fact that Republicans for the longest time have cowered, have caved, were scared of their own shadow, and every time Democrats tried to balk and tried to fight against them, they put their tail between their legs and just cowered and gave the Democrats anything they wanted. They forgot what the idea of compromise and negotiation actually was. To them, compromise was, let's give Democrats everything that they want, or else the media is going to get mad at us for not doing anything, and it'll be our fault, and we'll get the bad publicity. That's been the Republican motto for the last 20, 30 years, and enough's enough. And we're actually going to stand up and do something. So the fact that we're actually doing something is pretty amazing. And this is the this is the negotiation from my uh, from from our new speaker of the house, Mike Johnson. Is all right. You want Ukraine funding? We don't really want Ukraine funding, or at least we don't want to just give them a blank check and say run with it and do whatever the hell you want to do. We've already given them a hundred billion dollars or more. So if you want more money, you have to start attaching some of our priorities to it as well. That's what Democrats do, right? If we're going to do something, we're going to throw other stuff on it that's non-related to where we can get whatever we want. Look at the freaking federal budget for how many years now? We haven't had a federal budget since the Obama administration where it's been nothing but an omnibus package. In order for them to vote on it, then they have to throw in every special interest that they want. So Republicans finally took them long enough to figure this out. But all right, we're going to attach our interest on here to do something for our country. And if you want to vote for Ukrainian funding, this is what you have to go along with it as well. And all of a sudden now the Democrats, oh, how dare you? We can't be doing that. Why are you attaching a non-related piece of legislation onto this bill? How dare you Republicans try to pass something like 
closing down the border, this radical extremist Donald Trump immigration policy like this. How dare you attach that to a country in need when the top military generals of Volodymyr Zelensky in Ukraine are buying private uh, private yachts right now that are multi-millions worth of dollars because of our taxpayer funds that are coming from the U.S. to the Ukraine. How dare you try to attach any type of tight end here onto our Ukrainian funding bill? How could you do They are in need. To the point where our military right now, our Pentagon says that if we don't send them the aid that they need in Ukraine, we're going to start putting American troops on the eastern border of Ukraine to fight in person, essentially causing a third world war and actually getting physically involved in the altercation. Because either we send them billions of dollars or we send them our troops, your choice. This is their counter. This is their counter. These are the ones that are looking out for the best of the nation right there. This is their counter. Either send the money that we tell you to send or we'll put our American soldiers in harm's way in a conflict that we have nothing to do with. Supposedly, I say that in air quotes. We have nothing to do with. All right. So you won't pass H.R. 2 and you just want the Ukrainian funding. Fine. You know what? We'll put some other amendments into the Ukrainian funding bill, which U.S. Senator James Lankford, our great friend here on the program uh, from the state of Oklahoma, tried to do, which Chuck Schumer on Friday also said during his press conference that was a no-go. On Friday evening, uh, the negotiations between Senators Sinema, uh, Murphy, and Lankford took a terrible turn. Basically, even though uh, Senator Lankford put on the table proposals that pretty much mirrored H.R. 2, which was a non-starter. And both Murphy and Cinema were just, you know, very, very, they were, they were surprised and very much saddened by what he did. And so we were at an impasse. But we must get aid to Ukraine. We must get aid to Ukraine. We're at an impasse right now. Do you know why they don't want some immigration policy in the Ukrainian funding bill? Any guess? Want to take a guess on that one? There are some amendments in the Ukrainian funding bill that was in both the packages from the House and the Senate that includes from the Biden administration per their request, $14 billion that would fund projects here on the home front that they say is immigration policy. It's already taken care of. We're already addressing immigration issues. We don't need the radical Trump policies like H.R. 2, which is what the Democrats are trying to say right now. We already have $14 billion built into this Ukrainian aid package right now that addresses immigration. That's what they're telling us. Do you know what that $14 billion is? It's not to seal the border. It's not to give more money to the border. It's not to buy resources for the border. No, no, no. What it is, it's to purchase housing and food and mitigate the problem for the homelessness in the cities of New York City and Chicago and other places around where we have the major homeless issue and crime rates right now from the illegal alien issue. That's an ongoing problem all over the country. $14 billion to address them by giving them the housing with the homelessness that we're seeing in New York City, Chicago, and other places by giving them more food stamps that they need as the migrants that are coming into the country. It's taking care of them. Now, as the guy who didn't finish college, the guy who doesn't have a degree except for a broadcasting degree to be the dancing monkey on the radio to entertain you every week, I have to ask the simple basic common sense question here. If we're going to spend more money in social programs to take care of the people that we've brought in here to take care of, because that's what progressives want by flooding the borders and then taking care of them through social programs to make them lifelong Democrat voters. If we increase the spending on those programs to take care of the ones that are here, what will that do to the mindset of the migrants that see this, 
that are coming to our borders. Oh, yeah, there's not an issue. Don't worry. We'll continue to flood their borders because they'll find a way to take care of us because it then becomes a humanitarian crisis, almost like a third world nation where it started off to be the slums and the poor people and the homeless ones and the crime rates because they're sending us there, but they don't have any place to put us. So now all of a sudden, we now have a place to stay. They're now creating more places for us to stay. They now have more food to give us. They have now more resources to give us when we get there. Everything will be fine. Let's continue on the trek up northward into America because they are going to take care of us. That will enhance the migration problem. That will enhance the illegal migration into this nation. And to you, ladies and gentlemen, that is the solution that Democrats have to solve the immigration problem is to sink $14 billion additionally into our own social programs to take care of the homelessness that we're seeing right now from the migrants, as opposed to actually addressing what's going on at the border and slowing the flow from people from China and from the Middle East and from Europe and from everywhere else coming across our border as refugees and asylum seekers when that's not even what an asylum seeker or refugee is actually supposed to be. That's what they're doing as the solution. And anything beyond that, while they say that they're open to negotiation and open to compromise on trying to find a solution to this issue, that is their solution. That's their compromise. They haven't learned the lesson yet that we're not going to take their crap anymore and that that's not immigration policy. So we have a long distance. We're not even talking in the same ball field right now in negotiations. And Mike Johnson, Republicans, hold your ground on this conversation because it's going to get pretty bloody pretty quick. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. It's your Patriot on the Prairie. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, it is. Welcome back into it. Your Patriot on the Prairie, broadcasting coast to coast all over the place. Great radio affiliates all over the country with more jumping on. We'll have some more information on that as we progress here. Wonderful to have you with us again. You can find us on our social media at Hoosier Reason. Also, our website at HoosierReason.com. There's no I in Hoosier. H-O-O-S-E-R Reason.com. Go and check us out. So the great compromise, we're going to call it of 2023, hopefully not into 2024, but the great compromise of 2023 involves Republicans saying, all right, if you want your Ukrainian funding, this is how this works. This is how you've been bullying us for years and for decades, honestly, is that if you want something, then you bully us into saying, fine, all right, you can have it, but you're going to put this in there as well. So we're going to play that same game now because it took us this long to realize how we, (laughs) this is how the game works. Oh, wow, this is kind of neat. If you want Ukrainian funding, that's cool. You can have Ukrainian funding. However, there's going to be some stipulations on where the money goes, and we're going to do something for, I don't know, our country. What a concept. And we're going to figure out what's going on with our border. And, yes, it cannot be solved immediately. We understand that it's not going to be solved overnight. But we can at least stop the flow of near 100,000 people a day coming into our 10,000 people a day, whatever the number is now, coming in per day from the southern border and the Biden administration saying, these aren't the Joey Joe looking for, and just telling us nothing to see here, move along. Chuck Schumer, the left-wing progressive from the state of New York, is the one now on the Democrat side, obviously being the leader on that side, talking about the great negotiations and how they're willing to sit down and converse on this issue with immigration. This was his speech on the floor just a couple days ago. But we also know it's a complicated issue. Very complex. 
Very complex. Yeah, very complex. Very That's complex. So challenging. That's a bipartisan solution for years. I'm certainly willing to have that difficult conversation. I was a, I was a leader of the Gang of Eight that produced the last real border compromise a decade ago. Terrible bill. But it's not realistic for Republicans to suddenly hold up Ukraine aid, which they claim to support, and then suddenly demand that we take up border, which has been a problem for years, and then solve it in a matter of days. Nevertheless, we Democrats were willing to give it a try. And that's my third point. For three weeks, Democrats have sat down at the negotiating table with our Republican counterparts to see if something on the border was possible. We talked for three weeks, and actually, negotiations ended up moving backward after Speaker Johnson said the only thing his Republican caucus would accept was Donald Trump's extreme border policies as embodied in H.R. 2. So Democrats tried to negotiate in good faith, but after the Speaker pushed H.R. 2, talks remained in an impasse. Okay, so now because Chuck Schumer said that, the media is going to run with this, and therefore that's going to be the narrative, is that, Don- that Democrats tried to negotiate in good faith. We tried to come up with a happy solution between the two ideas. We tried to negotiate with the Republicans, but the extreme right radical side of the party the MAGA Republicans are the ones that are uncompromising, unwavering, and unwilling to work together, hold hands, and sing kumbaya. Now, again, their idea of compromise is to not focus on the border. Look, here's the biggest solution immediately, right now, what we could do immediately. We don't have to pass legislation. We don't have to, we don't have to do major immigration reform. We don't have to do anything, but here's a wild concept. Enforce the rules on the books. Enforce the rules that are currently on the books. Just make law enforcement, make immigration, make border security, make the enforce the rules on the books. Do not allow people to come in illegally. Do not just create an app and let the flow just come right on through. Just stop the flow. Have the checkpoints. Make sure people come in legally. Make sure people have their green cards, their work visas, their student visas, their whatever travel visas, their vacation visas. I don't care. They can come in however they want to in that front, but make sure they come in legally. Period. End of story. Stop everything else to a T. When you do that, then we can work on how to reform the system and make it a little bit more efficient. That's the first thing that we can do. Democrats unwilling to do that. And the only policy they're willing to negotiate on is to sink $14 billion into taking care of the illegal immigrants that are here and giving them amnesty. And that's their compromise. That's their good faith negotiation. Sorry. As you said, Chuck Schumer, that's a non-starter for the Republicans. Try again there, buddy. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, it is. Welcome back into the program. 35 minutes past the hour. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting. Trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that 5-pound bag. Trying to rebrand the millennial generation. One radio listener at a time. Multiple radio stations all over the place. So wonderful to have you with us on our weekend edition of the program. Want to shift gears here a little bit as uh, obviously funding and government spending, major issue, border policy, major issue. We're going to get U.S. Senator James Langford back on the program here relatively soon as he's been focused heavily on this border policy really for a while now and proposing, uh, again, if they can't get H.R. 2 in the bill for the Ukrainian funding, they're at least working on trying to implement the same type of policy and some amendments onto the bill and then Democrats losing their minds. So we'll see where the, I know, well, hey, it's, 
Democrats are open to conversation, right? Except for when Republicans try to propose anything of common sense. We'll get back to that a little bit later. But as you know, we focus a lot on the unions on this show, collective bargaining. And after the six-week stint of the protests from the UAW that we've spent a lot of time on on this program, where are we at in the future of unions unionizing and getting rid of the right to work, unfortunately, across the nation? Because, well, According to them, this is their resurgence. This is the communist revolution. Viva la revolution. As they tried to take over and they've seen for decades the slow decrease of people signing up for unions, even to the point to where they acknowledge that while the companies themselves may be taking care of the workers, that's not good enough. We need to still get them unionized by pushing it into new industries and expanding their power and control. And we've seen that in some of the latest Supreme Court cases, and we see that right now with uh, the forced payment into the donations or charitable givings, quote-unquote, for our radio listeners to the Democrat Party. To talk about some of that and more, we go back to the Hoosier Media Hotlines. Let's go to the Hoosier Media Hotline. And normally, we love having Mark Mix on the program, president of the National Right to Work Committee and the National Right to Work Foundation. Uh, But new guest on the program today, really happy to have on here. He is the vice president of the National Right to Work Foundation. Excited to have on here Patrick Simmons. Patrick, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. It's a pleasure. Hopefully, I'll be able to uh, pinch hit for Mark here tonight. Oh, no, you're great. I'm excited to have you on here. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. There's a lot of news on the whole collective bargaining right to work unionization because for some reason, Patrick, they're they're trying a resurgence here. They got more than what anybody thought they would get in this UAW strike from just a few weeks ago, and now they feel empowered that they're going to see this massive revolt and massive registration of people signing up for unions. Do you think this is going to happen? Well, I mean, they certainly got um, a lot when you look at kind of the percentage, but I think a lot of people don't really put that in the context of the reason they were so far behind um, is because they have three, four year uh, contracts. And, you know, as we know, the Biden inflation is undercutting people's wages massively. And so they were they had three or four years to make up. Um, And so, you know, when you look at it versus the baseline of inflation, it's really not so clear um, just how uh, well they, they did, of course. A lot of headlines in the, uh, the the corporate press about this, and a lot of uh, cheerleaders for big labor uh, among them, and so they want to make a big deal about it. But but I think fundamentally, I mean, big labor still has the problem, which is that so many workers don't really want anything to do with them, um, and that's why they hate right to work so much uh, because right to work gives workers a choice: they can pay the dues or they cannot; they can be a member or they cannot. Um, and they, of course, would rather have everyone forced to pay up or be fired. And then they funnel that money to their uh, their political allies. Yeah. How ironic is it as well? Like you said, I mean, we're trying to play catch up with wages that have been stagnant for so long and inflation at near 20 to 30 percent over the past three years under the Biden administration that we have the sitting president, Joe Biden, that goes for the first time. I, I, the headlines during that protest was the first sitting president to ever go on the picket line with workers on the union strikes going out there and protesting. It, pretty much acknowledging what you just said, that inflation's so bad that you can't make a living off your current wages that you have, so we need better wages to pay for the economy that I created. Like, you would think that would be something that the PR people in the in the team for the Biden administration would be like, you know, maybe this isn't the best PR thing that we should promote right now. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I mean, I had a reporter ask me, hey, uh, the, the you know, unions have just said that they are this year, the study shows uh, the highest uh, uh, wage increase ever. And then I said, well, it didn't even keep up with the government's own inflation numbers. So yeah, it's a big problem. Um, and you know, we of course know that workers can have a choice if they want to join, that's fine. 
Um, but it, it can't be coerced. It can't be because of the heavy hand of government. And that's that's the problem that we're up against. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the latest Supreme Court decision that happened a few weeks ago, about a month ago or so. But the unions tried, just like they tried to do all the way, obviously, back in the early 1900s, and we still see it today with the automatic deduction of taxes from our paycheck uh, for federal income tax, which the government's like, hey, if you don't see it, then you won't miss it, won't even know it's there. The unions have tried to do the same thing with automatic payments, automatic renewals, automatic just signing up for the union. As especially as public employees, to where you don't have to worry about anything. Don't worry, you know, just move along here. We'll take care of you. The Supreme Court, I believe, shot this idea down, didn't they? Well, we're waiting to find out if the Supreme Court is going to take the case. Um, it looks okay. like they were going to do it a week or so ago. Um, now we could find out actually as soon as 930 uh, Monday morning about this. But this is a big issue and a big problem. Um, people may remember back in 2018, the Supreme Court did weigh in on this issue, a case called Janus v. Asme, um, which, is, uh, which was argued by uh, the National Right to Work Foundation's uh, legal director, William uh, Messenger. Um, and the Supreme Court ruled there for the first time that workers, public employees, have a First Amendment right not to subsidize um, union activities. That means they cannot be forced as a condition of employment to pay money to the union. Uh, because, as we know, everything government unions do is inherently political. It's all about advocating for what the government should do or shouldn't do. Um, and then, of course, on top of all that, there's all the just direct, um, very obvious political money that, that gets tied up in that. Um, but the Supreme Court said not only can it not be forced, but you can't take any money from workers unless they've made it clear they understand they have a First Amendment right and they're waiving that right. Um, now, as you might imagine, a lot of states um, where the union bosses have a lot of political influence didn't like that. And we've ever since we've seen a massive attempt to undermine the Supreme Court's ruling in Janus. Um, and so this case, uh, which comes out of Alaska, you've got the governor of Alaska, um, Dunleavy, is uh, is good. He looked at the, the Supreme Court's Janus decision and said, hey, we got to change the way we're taking money. We've been taking it automatically. We need to make sure that we have a waiver from everyone. Uh, the union there sued, and so far, the union, through the state Supreme Court, has been able to block um, the state's attempt to collect these waivers and make sure that no money is taken without it. Um, and it's a bigger problem. You know, states like California, New York, Illinois, probably no surprise, are some of the worst in terms of they just automatically take this money. A lot of people, they were signed up before Janice when they didn't have a choice. They said, hey, you better sign up or we're going to have you fired. And now they're saying, oh, the fact that they signed that maybe a decade ago when there wasn't even a First Amendment right not to pay, we're going to take their money based on that. Um, and the unions have so far mostly been able to do that. Um, so it's a big problem. Um, the Janus decision did free, I think, at least half a million public employees who were had already objected uh, to these payments. But, but they continue to take it from a lot of people, people who don't know. We have no evidence that they ever realize that they have this choice, this constitutional right. Um, and, of course, that's not the way constitutional rights work. Uh, the, the government can't just assume you don't want your right enforced. Uh, they need to – it needs to be very clear. I mean, think of um, the Fourth Amendment. It says you can't, you can't be um, – the police can't just come into your house and look around. They have to go get a warrant first. But imagine the, the government said, well, you never said you wanted to enforce your, first, your Fourth Amendment rights. Therefore – Unless you tell us you, we can't come into your house, we can go snoop around all we want. Um, yeah. And so that's sort of what's going on here. And hopefully the Supreme Court will tell us possibly Monday morning that they're going to take this case, which would be a huge sign. 
that they're going to fix this and step into this problem. Yeah, that'd be a really big one if we get a decision on that. We're talking with Patrick Simmons, uh, Vice President for the National Right to Work Foundation. Uh, Patrick, let's just go back to the foundation here. How in the world did we allow unions to get as powerful and as influential right now like we're seeing, uh, whether it's these public unions, whether it's the auto union, whether it's the teachers union? I mean, we saw the teachers union essentially create three different uh, uh, votes against the former Governor Scott Walker in the state of Wisconsin trying to get him out of office because he was pushing back on the teachers union and trying to create some school choice, and they lost their minds. How in the world did they get this powerful? Well, because the government gave it to them, and, and that's the that's the real crux of the problem. Um, you know, there's all sorts of voluntary associations out there. People can join the, the NRA or they could join their, um, you know, the American Legion or whatever, or the Rotary, Rotary Club. Um, and that's all fine as long as it's voluntary. But union power is about the heavy hand of government coming in. First, it forces people under union so-called representation. Um, you can be a non-member. In a, in a workplace, maybe you never even had a choice whether or not you wanted to be under the union's um, power, but the union gets to enter into a contract for you um, that determines your working conditions. It doesn't matter if those are worse than the working conditions you can get on your own, but they've been given this power by federal law and then also in, off, in many cases when it comes to public employees by state law. Um, and then it's even worse because in states without right to work and for workers who Janus rights aren't being respected, their money gets taken from them uh, so that these unions can then use it to buy political influence, which then gives them more coercive powers over these uh, workers. Um, and so it's a really uh, a system, a circle of corruption where, you know, political allies of government union bosses um, and all the union bosses uh, take the money and then spend it not for what's best for, for all Americans or all workers, and it's not what's in defense of our uh, freedoms and our First Amendment rights, but instead, what? how do we get union bosses more power and more influence, which we know they'll funnel back to their uh, political allies? Yeah, what a wild concept. Yeah, the money staying at the top with the administrative state, essentially, which is what we're seeing with the heads of the union bosses, while they're like, oh, we're totally here to take care and represent you as the peon worker, and we'll totally look out for your best benefits which is hilarious to watch we got to take a break here we're talking with patrick simmons he's the vp of the national right to work foundation when we come back around the corner i want to focus on moving forward the young generation going into the workforce this decline in people signing up for the unions and collective bargaining and what we could see going into legislative sessions around the nation coming up in january stay this is the voice of reason with andy hoosier America's safe space for common sense. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Common sense, reason, rationale, that's just what we do here on the show. Always great to have you with us here last few minutes of the program. Oh, how it flies right on by. Hey, I want to tell you about my friends over at Americans for Prosperity. Great partners with us here on the show every single day. As you know, they're wrapping up their Bidenomics is broken campaign for the summertime. And guess what? It worked because now the Democrats are even just shunning the idea of Bidenomics, completely scrapping the platform which is a major, was going to be at least, a major talking point for the campaign of 2024. Now, we're a year out. The Bidens have been in for office for three years, and they have zero platform to run on, and their one thought they thought was going to be a great economic policy is is really not. So 
uh, they did it. Congratulations. Pat yourself on the back. You are part of that with part of the largest grassroots campaign and grassroots organization in the entire nation with Americans for Prosperity. If you want to learn more information, you can figure out how the dream is still alive. The American dream is still thriving, and we can still give that to so many out there. Go to prosperityispossible.com, prosperityispossible.com. Type in your email. You can join the movement that way. Get information directly to your inbox. Learn about what's going on. Learn about the legislation. Learn about the tax policy, the government spending, and what we can do to stop the madness because it's never going to end. Remember, they always say if you want something changed, ask somebody who's too busy to do it or you just have to realize you have to do it yourself. And that's what we're doing because the grassroots campaign means that you and I are the ones knocking on the doors. You and I are the ones that are talking to people. You and I are the ones that are making the changes on that local level, being that catalyst for change in your local community. Again, prosperityispossible.com, prosperityispossible.com. You can also check out their website at americansforprosperity.org. We're hanging out right now with the National Right to Work Foundation. Patrick Simmons on the line with us here. Uh, Patrick, let's shift gears a little bit for the last couple of minutes that we have, and let's talk about the legislative sessions of 2024, the state government's uh, reconvening here in about a month to talk on their priorities. Uh, I'm sure that there's a lot of states that are going to cont- constantly work on this right to work laws in their state, trying to actually allow the economy to grow, allow local business to thrive, and push back against some of these unions. How optimistic are you that we could see some more states actually pass some right-to-work laws in their states? Well, we're going to, yeah, we're going to be working on that closely. Um, I mean, right now, I wouldn't say there's any state where it's imminent. Um, Hopefully, uh, after the 2024 elections, we're going to have a better chance at that. Um, But we have seen some interest. Uh, You know, New Hampshire's gotten really close a few times. We've seen uh, Montana get close. Uh, so, so it's definitely um, possible. Um, and then there's other state legislation, too. Um, a lot of the states, kind of getting back to what we, we talked about earlier on the public sector side, are creating systems. And these are states mostly right-to-work states already. We've seen Florida, Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky do this. And I think we're going to see more where they're coming in and fortifying. And they're saying, we're getting the government out of the union dues collection business completely. Um, and if the, the unions want to collect their dues, they can do so, you know, with a check or a credit card, the same way uh, people pay their cell phone bill or or, uh, or whatever other monthly bill they have. We're not going to be yeah. the bag man for government union bosses, and, and hopefully, we'll see more of that, um, especially this year. That would be really nice if we saw that. I'm assuming, even with the union membership on the decline that we've seen over the past few years, with people just not wanting to deal with this in businesses, and even the you know the government's realizing, oh hey, if we take care of people on our own, they don't need to rally against us, and then we have happy workers, productive workers, and we don't have to keep retraining people and spending money on new new hires all the time. That if we do this policy to where they actually have to write that check to the unions. You think we're going to see even a, uh, even more of a decrease of people signing up because, hey, I can't afford my bag of groceries right now. Why the heck would I spend 50 bucks on my union membership every month when they're not really doing anything for me right now anyways? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it just gets back to so much of this is, you know, maybe they signed up once years ago. Maybe they were told they have to pay up or be fired. Um, but when people are really given a choice and reminded that they have that choice, a lot of them look at it and they say, I just don't want to be part of this. I don't want to be part of this organization because I don't think it's worth it in my workplace or I don't like the radical political positions that the unions take supposedly in my name, um, but at odds with with many of my core beliefs um, and all the, the lies that come into to union organizing. I mean, we have all sorts of workers trying to get votes to get out of um, unions at the National Right to Work Foundation. 
and uh, and they just are told they were misled. Man, it's an ongoing battle, but I think we're on the winning end of this one. I am optimistic going into the sessions of 2024 with different states all around the country. It is Patrick Simmons, the VP of National Right to Work Foundation. Patrick, appreciate the time very much, my friend. You guys keep up the fight. we got to get you back on again real soon and chat again. I'd be glad to. Thank you so much, Andy. Okay. Absolutely. Great stuff, man. There it is. So much more to get to. The Biden administration, by the way, has come out and said that the economy is doing all right. But companies really need to lower their prices so that way consumers can afford it better. <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit later. Until then, though, that does it for us today for the weekend on The Voice of Reason. Make sure to be your own catalyst for change. Be your own voice of reason in your own community. It's time for you to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.